Welcome to Comedy on Edge, the podcast. I'm your host, Mark Williamson. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening. If you listen to us on iTunes, give us a star rating and a review. Really helps the show. If you're not listening to us on iTunes, that's cool. Spread the love. Tweet about us. Facebook about us. Uh, for more information, check out ComedyOnEdge.com or follow us on Twitter at ComedyOnEdge. All right, time for the show. Let's hit the music. Welcome, everybody, to Comedy on Edge, the podcast. We're live at Edge HQ, twiddling the dials. It's Ryan. Special comments, Crawford. How are you, buddy? I'm really well, Mark. How are you? I'm pretty good, pretty good. And we've got a we've got a special guest. Who I'm pretty excited about. He's Summer. one of my one of the first comics I saw headline and just grabbed me and made me fall in love with this industry. He is he's a bloke. He's a yobbo. You may know him from that. He is Chris Franklin. G'day, Mark. How you going, mate? Good, mate. Good. Welcome, welcome to you're you're on the you're you're sort of a road traveller these days. You're, yeah, I found out recently. I mean. Got one sixteenth Indigenous, so I, that's probably explaining the the um, walkabout that I'm I'm doing all the time now. I'm on the road all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's funny. I met you at Redfern Train Station, which is giveaway close to where Edge HQ is, and you like the mayor of this town. You, you just ran into an old mate. Yeah, a fellow I hadn't seen for about six years, who I used to live in the same apartment block with. We just crossed paths at Redfern Train Station, had a bit of a chat on the way down here. Yeah, he got, it, was, it was quite it was quite a good chat. It's, I don't know, I don't know <laughs> if I should reveal the chat, but it was one of the funniest for me as an observer. The guy, he's the guy. He was missing a teeth, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah." And he's like, "I lost my teeth a couple of weeks in the fight, but I didn't lose." <laughs> that's, that's that's Stevie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He um abseils down the high rise buildings, cleaning windows for a living. He's a bit of a adventure junkie and a bit of a wild bloke. So yeah, well, I'd imagine that. I, I, I was guessing it wasn't you know a wrestling match, and he copped an errant <laughs> elbow. But that's just a, a passing comment and uh, something that you'd hear from out of Steve's mouth any time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I lost me teeth the other day but uh yeah didn't lose a fight well i was glad because if he had a loss you would have probably walked away from him let's be honest <laughs> now you're on the you're on the road and you've pretty much have you lived in almost every capital city of australia over your pretty close yeah, yeah. let's see lived in perth I, I didn't live right in adelaide but i lived on the um york peninsula there for a while um obviously melbourne haven't lived in tassie um oh, lived in sydney haven't lived in brisbane but i've lived in north queensland magnetic island townsville yeah. And um, haven't lived in Darwin. Never lived in Darwin. No. So, so Darwin coming soon in the next oh. next few years. And you're no. coming Adelaide Fringe Festival. I understand it's that time of year when we're getting shows in order. You've got a you got a show planned. <laughs> Writing a show called uh, Beer Gardens and Bars. Um, bars is uh, more a reference to prison bars than um, than alcoholic bars. Yeah. Now, for those who don't who haven't picked up, you you've been in prison before. Yeah, yeah, a long time ago. I've done a lot of times in lockups, but one one time in a prison as well. Yeah, yeah. What 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 got you in there? Um, uh, defending my wife's honour is the best way of putting it. Yeah, I'd, I'd recently been married, and um, uh, we were at a, a local club. It was a Friday night disco, which is in this country town. That means someone turned the jukebox up and someone else turned the lights off and off. <laughs> but um, uh, she was a dancer and I was a drinker, so we were doing our respective jobs and um, she came back from the dance floor and said, this bloke keeps grabbing me on the arse. And uh, I went over and politely said to him, mate, grab whoever you want on the arse, but not her, we're recently married. And uh, he had a swing and missed and I had a swing and connected, thought it was all over and went back to the bar. Uh, having a drink, I'm the champion, I'm the winner. And the crowd parted and he came through with a broken pot glass and um, took my spleen out and I returned the favour and won. 
Mm, yeah. Basically. Yeah. And yeah. what happened now? What you woke up the next morning in hospital? Yeah, yeah. I was in hospital. And I, I thought uh, it was originally the cops wanted me for murder, and then they they found out what had happened. And they wanted to, they downgraded to manslaughter. And then they had um, that was with the witnesses from the pub or whatever. Then they had a guy explain or doctor explaining my injuries. I, I may not have survived and wouldn't have known what I was doing anyway. So they downgraded again to involuntary manslaughter, which is, I guess, the equivalent of. Um, killing someone in a drink driving accident or something like that so i got five years and did 18 months for that yeah wow. i woke up the next morning in hospital handcuffed to the hospital bed um thought i thought exactly that that i'd killed someone in a drink driving accident and um nah it was uh yeah, yeah just a pub fight now how that, now that's the thing like with with movies and popular and this is forgive me if i sound ignorant i'm i'm a middle class guy i haven't i haven't done that in prison is it is it is it like Oz? There's plenty of time for you, Mark. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> once once they get onto the laws of defamation and Twitter, I'm yeah, sure it's right. coming. Yeah, yeah. It's um it's a it's a different world. Obviously, the majority of people are in there because they're they're not that intelligent. Uh, I like to think I am a little bit intelligent. I, I got the nickname Bouncer Boy while I was in prison because I used to stop a lot of harder blokes than me from fighting each other oh, wow. and, and myself just by talking them down. So yeah, it's um there's a few little. I, I worked out a few little tricks and whatever you know you, you find out who's running the show and you have a fight with him but um make sure you don't win because he'll, he'll want to beat you next time but make sure you give a good enough show so that you've got his respect and then you'll have the respect of everyone else while you're in there so right. things so, like that i lost the end of my nose in prison though oh I wow a bit that off yeah oh wow that's yeah, over a rake over a rake yeah that was with a k um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was he didn't want to do the rake or he oh, I, I found at the time where you had to go and do a bit of gardening or work or whatever i found if you got a rake you could just put it over your shoulder and walk around and, and the screws would think you're going to rake something or just coming from raking something and you ah. never actually rake anything this particular day this larger fellow than me had the rake and i said excuse me killer whoever you've got my rake and um he had a go and i had a go and i was winning the fight because he was a, a larger fella and uh, he worked out he wasn't going to win that way, so he just wrapped me up so I couldn't punch him anymore and bit the end of my nose off, and I went, all right, you have the rake. Yeah, yeah fair enough. I'll he, go to the infirmary. He, yeah. he was a bit keen yeah. on that. And Check mate, killer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your turn. I'll be back at three to grab yeah. that, that rake. Because I, re- I recently read um, Darren Creswell, the Sydney Swans player, his book. He, my connection to him is my old man used to be involved in his junior footy club, and I knew Darren and follow it but yeah he went to prison for fraud right and just sort of his book was detailing and sorry I shouldn't it is a good read if you want to sort of see an athlete's fall from grace and kind of redemption but yeah he's sort of saying in prison that to get him through it was the man he sort of got his routine of like obviously being a sportsman he was used to fit so he worked out his little workout routine and his whole day pretty much revolved around that is there a lot of downtime in there is that sort of the there is, yeah, there, there's not a lot really to do that you know i got really good at table tennis <laughs> oh um, <laughs> forest comes style yeah both hands yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no you, you can keep to yourself you can get involved in things you know mm. yeah and what, what about the food in there is it is it pretty um i did all, i'm a chef by trade originally, oh, so, really? yeah you know I, I made sure i did all right out of it yeah oh. no, that, this day and age everywhere's got to be sort of decent you know you, it can't sort of be like Starlog 13 and a big pile of slop on a tray or whatever, you know. I saw that on uh, sort of on Wikipedia. We do our research here, mm. by the way, just so you know. I checked you out on Wikipedia. You cooked for the... You were in, in the Navy and yeah. you cooked for the Queen, is that right? Yeah, that's right. One of seven chosen to cook for the Queen. Yeah, right. Yeah. Almost killed her. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it would have sorted the Republican debate out yeah. years it ago. It would have. Yeah. We, um, 
We had to cook the meal for the um, captain of the depot, which was Cerberus in Victoria, and he approved it. Uh, it was all to give us practice and to get approval as well of the menu. Then we cooked it for the Premier of Victoria, which was John Kane at the time. Then we cooked it for the Prime Minister, which was Bob Hawke at the time. Then we cooked it for the Governor-General, the Queen's representative, who, which was Sir Zelman Cohen. Yeah. And they all approved the menu, so we cooked it for the Queen. And 70% of the menu was seafood, and Elizabeth Windsor's allergic to seafood. So. Oh, is she? Yeah, almost I killed her. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That slipped through the cracks. Somebody didn't do their checking on that one. The, the funniest part of all of that for me was, they, they, I don't know if... They still do this, I would assume they do. They had a toilet specifically built in case the Queen needed to use the toilet while she was on the visit. <laughs> and uh, after she left, no one knew whether she had used it or not, but there was a, a big scattering of sailors running to steal the toilet seat just in case she had. Oh, <laughs> that, oh that would have been free eBay. Imagine, yeah, that's right, it would have been. Imagine mm. if they do that these days, it definitely would be up in eBay, going for a couple of thousand dollars moments yeah. after. Yeah. And because you imagine the, the sa- throne. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> because you imagine the sailor who probably got it, like he would he'd be in his 50s now. I'd say so, I'm, I'm 50 next yeah. year. So, so he's yeah. probably in, you know, in his pool room and it's like, hey, granddad, why is there a toilet? <laughs> Queen sat there. Mm-hmm. Remember, the, she's still there. It's, the, the Queen sat on our lounge room wall. Yeah. <laughs> Although someone else got the real prize, the you know, duty in a bag. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the, the Queen's leavings. Nah, yeah, I'm pretty sure there would have been a royal flush. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone's going to be going and souvenir in the S-Band. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're probably right. I mean, I mean, I'm sure in Germany that would have been a prized possession, you know, would have been... <laughs> Would have been a good thing. So the the, the Schifringe, have you got your venues lined up for the yeah, Fringe? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be at the in the beer garden at the Rhino Room. So oh, uh, perfect, nice spot. Yeah, yeah, and late show, ten thirty. So we'll have a bit of fun. Hopefully, everyone will be able to get down there after after they've seen what they wanted to see. Yeah, no, well, that, that story alone, you've got to go there and and check it out. And you you can say Adelaide, you've had a you've had a you've had a checkered history there too. You made the news. Uh, <laughs> Was it a year or two ago? Yeah, that went a bit crazy. It was just over a year ago. Um, I did a week of um, shows at adelaidecomedy.com and um, it was my birthday on the Sunday at the end of the run and Craig Egan, who runs it, says, come down to this local pub, the Elmer Hotel. Uh, they've got a good beer garden, good Sunday session. We'll have a drink for your birthday. Mm. We got down there and the bouncer was at the door said, um, sorry, mate, we've got a no mullet policy. In, in fucking Adelaide, home of the clips, clip was yeah. the clips all weekend. I thought he was joking. I went, yeah, oh. good one. Went to walk in. He grabbed me and said, "No, oh. you can't come in." And I went, "Oh, fair enough. No worries." We went to another pub and had a nice birthday steak and a beer, and it was good. But uh, the story made the newspaper, the mm. Adelaide Advertiser, and uh, through all newspapers being online and stuff now, yeah. it, it sort of uh, was one of those quirky stories that every breakfast radio DJ wanted to get a hold of. So once it hit the newspaper, I ended up doing like 60 radio interviews all around the country in about two days. Ended up on the project talking about it on, on Channel 10. And um, the pub was owned by an ex-AFL um, footballer, Brownlow medalist and Adelaide Crows captain, Mark Rusciuto. Oh, oh. Uh, who does drive radio on Triple M in Adelaide. Oh. And, uh, Rue rang me up and apologised profusely and uh, let me, he interviewed me on his show as well and let me pull the oh. piss out of him on there. He had a good sense of humour. And invited me back down, apologising. Um, invited me back down to have a beer for my birthday, and so I went back down there and um, I, I put on Facebook to all my followers that uh, we had a window of opportunity. Anyone in Adelaide with a mullet or a mullet wig <laughs> head down to the Elmer at this particular time and filled his beer garden with mullets. So he nice. walked in and shit himself and couldn't say a word because he had the Adelaide advertiser there with a the photographer to show we'd buried the hatchet and everything was good. 
No, I drank out of his wallet for about 11 hours. Oh, that, oh that's yeah, perfect. But, yeah. But then again, I'm guessing the mate, the guys with the mullets, they wouldn't have been that shabby too. So it's probably, <laughs> it's probably the greatest advertising thing for him ever. It's like, sure, you sank a fair amount of profit, but I reckon he would have gained. What come from that was uh, during, during that day, I actually convinced him that if I wrote a show called No Mullet Policy about the incident, uh, uh, would it be possible for me to perform it in the Elmer Hotel for the next Adelaide Fringe, which I did last yeah. last Fringe. So, yeah, I did a show about um, not being allowed in the Elmer Hotel in the Elmer Hotel. And the bouncer that wouldn't let me on on the day, his penance was to be the security in the room every night of the show. There. So <laughs> we had a bit of to and froing from the stage nice. when I pointed out that that was him. I've got to say, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with that. I don't think I've ever made any money out of being refused entry. That's, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, there was a case actually in the papers recently. It's some sports journalist. I can't think of his name. I'd never heard of him, but he's a local journalist. He got turned away from an Oxford Street nightclub for being too drunk. And he tried suing them based on... He claimed it was age discrimination. Right. But yeah, I mean, he lost because they had witnesses that he was clear. I've, I've had one of those in, um, oh, where was it? Uh, Chapel Street in Pran in Melbourne. The, it was uni night in this pub and I was meant to be meeting a girl in there and the bouncer at the door said, uh, you can't come in, you're too old. Basically said that to her. I said, you're not allowed to do that. He said, all right, you got the wrong shoes on. <laughs> They're the same as yours. He said, why do you think I'm standing out here? Uh, <laughs> so he was pretty quick on his feet. Yeah. He was a good yeah. thing, quick thinking bouncer. Yeah, so it's a, a smart, smart was, bouncer. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I was in Adelaide uh, back when Bloke was in the charts. So uh, Killing Heidi had their album at number one, and my single was at number one. We, we were hanging out quite a bit. We are both doing shows in Adelaide, and I, I went out with uh, Jesse Omoza from Killing Heidi in, in um, Hindley Street somewhere, and we got to the door, and... Uh, I was dressed like this after a show, and the bouncer said, sorry, mate, not in thongs or whatever. And I generally don't go, do you know who I am? Unless I'm actually asking, because I'm <laughs> yeah. that distant, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> do you know who I am? Um, but was as big on that. He, he um, uh, Do you know who you've got standing? Okay, we won't come in, but you go and tell your manager that you've just turned away two of the guys from the band with the number one album and the guy with the number one single. At the moment, this bouncer's wandered in, and this manager's come running back out. Terribly sorry, gentlemen, come on, here's a $100 drink card each, come on in, come, uh, yeah, welcome yeah. to our bar. Was he used to do that quite a bit. We were at Heat Nightclub in Melbourne one time. Uh, Molly Meldrum used to be the DJ there, and uh, this particular night we're gone, then the bouncer said, uh, no, nah, sorry, can't come in. And Wazza just turned to Jesse Hooper, who was with us again, and said, Jess, can I borrow your phone? And he's got Jesse's phone and rang a number, and he said, it was about four in the morning. So, yeah, um, Michael. Gudinski, yeah, uh, was I? Um, yeah, your bouncer won't let us into your nightclub. And he's just put the phone out towards the bouncer and said, he wants to speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> this bouncer's got the phone about a foot from his ear, just getting yelled at by Gudinski. If these pricks wake me up at this time of the morning again because you're not letting them into my club, rah, rah, rah. please, gentlemen, go in, go in, please. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's great. Yeah, that, that sort of it brings it, because I remember, like, as we, I, I grew up in Tassie. Right. And yeah, like the bouncers down there, they, they weren't, there was two lots. There was the, the clubs in the city, and then there were the clubs around the uni. The uni bouncers were just uni students who actually went to the gym, so they were pretty cool. But the ones in the city, they, they weren't as quick as that. But, yeah, they were quick to the fist. Yeah, so yeah. Mm-hmm. it's good to see the whole, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be good to just ring someone up. Yeah, he's your boss on the phone. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be, yeah nice. That'd be I good. had a few incidents at Heat. There was one time I was trying to get in in thongs again on my own, and they weren't going to let me in. And at the same time, Molly was coming out. He said, Chris, what are you doing? I said, I can't get in. I've got thongs on. He's kicked off his shoes and said, put them on. He put me thongs on. He said, I'm working and doing the DJ. They won't kick me out. And he's walked in in me thongs. I followed him in wearing Molly's shoes. <laughs> Did you keep those ones? No, no. We swapped back when we were inside. Ah, oh, nice. Did you get any foot fungus from Molly? Or? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, how did how did bloke come about? Like, how did that? Because that was a massive, massive. I think I've got the cassette sing, cassette single somewhere. Wow. Yeah. That's it's, no, it's funny. I've got because I've got that, and because it must be a thing. Because Lou Reed passed it was the, the other week, and mm. the, one of the first cassette singles I bought was Jim Owen covering "Walk on the Wild Side." Oh, right. And because I remember Jim Owen covered that, and because it was like I I used to watch Hey It's Saturday, and all you got you were on Hey Hey. No, no, no. Oh, I would have been. No. There's a funny thing that everyone says. Oh, I saw you on Hey Hey at Saturday. I say no, no. I never did Hey Hey, and they go, Yes, you did. <laughs> like, like, like I'd forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I must have. I must. Yeah, I must have confused it because well, that was just finishing up when I was starting. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, of course. Just missed out on it. Mm. Yeah, mm. and obviously you didn't make when it when it made it. It's what two week comeback. Or? Yeah, no, they, they were full of all their regulars on those. Yeah, oh, yeah. but uh, bloke. Long before I was doing comedy, I'd, I'd bumped into a Pommy Johnson comedian in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, in a bar and we were chatting and getting drunk and I was, here's a joke you can use and here's a song I sing and here's this and here's that and um, he he took an interest in the songwriting that I'd done and said come around I've got an idea I went round to his house and he said uh, got an idea for this song bloke it's a, a parody of the bitch song he said I either want to do a song called bitch and write it about Pauline Hanson or do a song bloke and do the male response and I wrote both of them for him, and he had a look. I wasn't performing at this stage, and he said, I'll, I'll do the bitch one. And he took that for a while, and then I started performing, and I said, do you mind if I do that bloke song? And he said, no, you wrote it, go for it. And so I performed it, and I went to number one, and I think he's sitting in a bath with a toaster now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he definitely didn't pick it, right? Like, no. He's like, that, see, that's where political satire gets you, folks. <laughs> yeah. Let's see if I can remember the lyrics to the other ones. Um, the Pauline Hanson one. I hate yeah. the world today, all these Asians that I wish would go away. Try to tell them, but they look at me like maybe I'm the Ku Klux Klan in drag. I love the Aussie flag. <laughs> Yesterday I cried, can't anybody see two Wongs don't make a white? Uh, <laughs> I can't understand why you'd be so confused. I'm fighting for all yous. I'm into culling races like Hitler did with Jews. I'm a bitch, I'm a Nazi, you won't catch me playing Yahtzee. I am missing half my brain, won't someone please explain? If you're yellow, if you're black, I want to send you back. I'm Pauline Hanson and that's how I'm going to stay. Well, I remembered it. That's oh, that's, yeah. that is amazing. That's, so I don't know why Pommy didn't have a hit with that one. Yeah. Mm. There was so many. I mean, I think there, there was so many, though, wouldn't there? Like Pauline Hanson takeoffs and stuff. There was yeah. Pauline Pants Down. Yeah, Do yeah I don't mm-hmm. like it. That was but, no, but there was the other one, Backdoor Man, that got... Triple J uh, yeah. played it for about a week before she, the High Court banned it. Because yeah. there was a lyric, it was like, I'm a backdoor man with a Ku Klux Klan, yeah. very horrendous plans, I'm a very caring potato. And it just went on, like it was really, I've just, there was something linking her, she, you know, yeah, it was really, it was really funny. And then that got knocked down, so then he got, I don't like it. And yeah. Right. But yeah, but because, yeah, he, the problem with him though, he went pulling pants down, he did home bake. And because right. people didn't get the joke, so they just thought it was Pauline Hanson and started pelting it with bottles. <laughs> God, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, so his live shows never took off. Geez, he must have been a decent likeness, if that's the case. Well, you stand at the back of a concert, you've been sitting in the sun for 14 hours, you're drunk, you see a redhead on, and you hear Hanson's voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm. true. you got a bottle yeah. in your hand, you're going to throw it. Yeah, yeah, and, and she looks like a man. Yeah. The, the real one. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I've, have you met her? Or? No. No. <laughs> Love that old joke of Kathy Freeman going into Pauline Hanson's fish and chip shop. Pauline saying, "I'm sorry, we, we don't serve Indigenous people here. The black fish and chip shops four minutes down the road." And Kathy says, oh, "I'm Kathy Freeman. I'm the world 400 metre champion." And Pauline says, "Well, in that case, it's only two minutes down the road." <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So, where was your first gig, comedy? 
Uh, the ESPY in St Kilda. The ESPY. That's, yeah. that's launched. I think it's, at the moment, there's like some great Aussie podcasts, Justin Hamilton mm-hmm. and Will Anderson, yeah. and the stories of the ESPY. Justin interviewed a good mate of yours, Bev Killick, recently, right, uh-huh. and she told some stories at the ESPY. It, it launched, was it Wild sort of like days. the launch pad of a lot of comics? It was. A, a, a Sunday afternoon at the ESPY from about four in the afternoon till eight o'clock at night. It was just a continuous stream of open mic comics to the point where they'd have different MCs for different stages of the, because the show was so long. Oh, wow. You'd just continually be getting up doing five minutes and... There was a real community feel about it, like someone would do something or they'd write something that would involve all the other open micers that would come on on the stage. And You know, we've we had a great time up there. Big stage, the Gershwin Room, where they do... Um, rock uh, quiz. Rock quiz, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there'd be times where we'd be standing on stage naked just helping someone out or <laughs> all sorts of weird things. But if you progress through there and, and um, found your feet in comedy, on the Tuesday night at the ESPY, they had the pro night. Ah. Uh, on Sunday, they only had a, a pro MC. Yeah. And on the Tuesday, so after so many weeks or months or years of doing the Sundays, you'd end up doing a um, a, a free spot at the start of the Tuesday night, and then you'd progress and get a, a ten minute spot, maybe a, a featured support, and then you know headlining on the Tuesday, and you, then you're headlining everywhere basically. Yeah, and you you did did you win Raw or yeah ninety eight yeah. I won Raw ninety eight. Yeah. Now at the time, what were you living at the back of the SP? Oh no, I was homeless. I, yeah. I was sort of camped on Bev Killick's lounge room floor. Actually, um, yeah. she took me in. Um, and Abel, who's now 21 or something, he, he was just a, a young boy at primary school. He used to bring his school friends home and I'd be passed out on the lounge room floor and he'd go, oh, don't worry, that's just Chris, he's our pet drunk. <laughs> <laughs> now he's, I've met Abel, he, I think when I did Melbourne seven years, it was a while back, he was a young teenager and he was the funniest flyer ever. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was just like, you could, yeah, he was just handing he, he's out. He's grown up in a very eccentric situation. Bev always had street performers and all, all the... St Kilda eccentrics around the house had come and go and stay a night or, or whatever. So it was it was a halfway house for, for lunatics, really. And, um, and she'd have a, a Christmas party every year for everyone who didn't have anywhere to go for a Christmas party. So you'd have some guy covered in tattoos, swallowing swords in the corner while someone's carving a turkey and someone else is <laughs> juggling flames. And it was the, the weirdest place. There was always something strange going on. But Abel grew up in that environment. Yeah. And, and he rebelled by becoming an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he goes to Comfest and does his fire twirling and all, all that sort of thing. He's out. Uh, he chains himself to trees to save forests and things. Oh. He, no, yeah, good. He goes, yeah. Right, yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Now, so when when you went from Raw, did you go to Edinburgh? Was yeah. that in still? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was quite funny. I won Raw. They gave me a trophy that stood about a foot and a half high on on four pillars, basically, oh. and uh, said, "Throw that on your mantelpiece." I was homeless at the time. <laughs> I was going to throw a tarp over it and live in the. <laughs> <laughs> everyone at the time was saying um, <laughs> everyone was saying are you going to go to Edinburgh you're homeless I said well I can be homeless there just as easy yeah. as I can be homeless here you know? yeah it's <laughs> probably a bit cold fly me there yeah. yeah no but I had a good time over there it was great yeah, yeah and you've, you've 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 made a movie with Roddy Piper is yeah it? yeah um, Corey Feldman was the, the main co-star Rowdy Roddy was in it that was yeah. a, a highlight for me meeting him well that's um, yeah I mean as Behind me is his autobiography. I'm a massive wrestling right, fan. There you go. He um he did all the wrestling moves. Beat me up on Venice Beach as part oh, of the wow. film. Yeah, yeah. It was quite the the particular scene. Um, I, I'm I'm in America trying to in my character's trying to make the big time and is continually getting rejected and dejected and uh, sitting on uh, the beach there, looking out over the ocean, wishing he was at, in Australia or on the other side of the ocean, and he hears bagpipes in the distance and wanders back, and it's uh, Roddy's daughter playing the bagpipes while he's working out at that outdoor. Venice yeah. Beach, Jim, and um, I just go up to her and say, "Can you play? It's a long way to the top." 
my OCD, so you know, with the bagpipes in it, it just make me feel a bit like I'm at home. She doesn't know what I'm talking about. Uh, he sees me talking to her, thinks I'm chatting her up, and comes over and kicks the crap out of me, basically. Oh, wow. While we filmed that, it was great. The big crowd turned around, which the, the uh, director didn't mind because it looked like people were gathering around to watch this fight. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. Going on. And it actually gave me a bit of cred with the... Uh, we had the... Um, Oh, I can't... Uh, Ugly Betty, remember the TV show Ugly Betty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the production crew that worked on that in between seasons were, was the American crew that we had working on the film. And um, there was a, a lot of Australian tourists and um, even a couple of male Qantas flight attendants in the group that were watching there that um, got my autograph and acknowledged who I was over there, which gave me some cred with the American crew. Up until oh. then, they didn't really know who I was. And yeah. they, when they saw that happening, they went, oh, oh, they do know who he is in Australia. He, he is sort of someone. Yeah, so... Mm. From that day, the rest of the filming, it, um, they treated me a little bit differently. So, oh, not wow. that they ever treated no, me. No, 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 no. But, but yeah, yeah, yeah. There's sort of that star power. And oh, that's is the movie coming out or no? No. Um, sad story there. The the producer of the movie was uh, Cameron Miller. Um, Cameron's son Sean made uh, national news. He, he was yeah. dying. He, he had a heart transplant, and uh, his body rejected it. And he he YouTubed a farewell video to his family that went viral. Yeah, yeah, I saw. Yeah, and, and he... um, yeah. So for. After we'd filmed what we had filmed of the movie, Sean, uh, Cameron was uh, committed to looking after Sean, Sean of course, Rockbrook, of and uh, that, that was uh, four years that that happened before Sean passed away, and now it's just been over a year, but uh, Cameron's still feeling the effects of losing a child. So. Oh, of course, and I think, mm. Sean, there's a book that you can buy. Yeah, yeah, it's called An Awesome Ride. Awesome Ride, so yeah. if you're out there, Google it, Sean Miller, Awesome Ride, Google it, buy the book, um, yeah, I think... Yeah, proportion goes to charity, and yeah, just read about that amazing. Yeah, it was an amazing story, mm. and that was actually that was one thing. And you sort of you, the brotherhood of comedy came came to the fore with that. In that, Sean, I think his last wish was a disco with yeah, comics. He wanted a, just a huge party with comedians there, and um, uh, there's a, a closed Facebook group called the Hood, uh, which is in reference to what Dave Grant yeah. passed away called the comedy industry. He called it the brotherhood, but. To, Save it from being sexist. We've we've reduced it to just the hood. To the hood. Um, yeah. Um, and through that, we try and help each other out. And, and yeah. Which was Dave's sort of Dave finished every show by saying, um, uh, "Be kind to each other, brothers and sisters." That's what it's mm. all about. So, uh, yeah, we try and do nice things with that group. Yeah. And um, through me knowing Cameron and Sean, and knowing the situation, Bev Kelly got on board. She's a champion when it comes to uh, charity events. Yeah. She got uh, Luna Park on board and a whole heap of things. And we had a, a big night at Luna Park with a, a stand-up comedy show that um, Brian Nankervis hosted, Raymond J. Bartholomew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all of us did that. Every every profile comedian put their hand up and said, yeah, we'll jump up and do that. So it was a great line-up. And Luna Park opened all the rides to all of Sean's uh, guests, I guess. So it was a night time at Luna Park that some company um, picked up Sean and all his personal friends in a stretch Hummer and Oh, drove them there. It was a, it was an amazing night. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's great. that's the one thing I love about comedy: the industry, the community, the sense I'm, of community. I'm, yeah. I've got that story wrong. I'm, I'm, no, <laughs> Sean passed away just before the party. He missed it. Ah, yeah. oh. but uh, they picked up all Sean's friends, and uh, yeah. I don't know why. I thought Sean was there then. That that's yeah. terrible. Oh, probably wasn't spirit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, oh, it definitely wasn't yeah, spirit. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. No, that's that's a great. So so sad. I'm, Sadly, he he missed the party. Yeah, yeah I think it was uh, just a few days before. I was actually doing a gig in um, Mission Beach in North Queensland with Mikey Robbins and Bev Killick. I was driving up there from Townsville and they were already up there and I just got a phone call from Bev and she was screaming, couldn't make any sense and Mikey got on the phone and said, Sean's just passed away and she had to do a gig that night. And, uh, 
she got through it. Uh, champion, yeah, 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 but yeah. She was a mess. Mm. Yeah, I oh, know. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tragic story, but I mean, some good came out of it. The community, yeah. Right. yeah. So get that book, ladies and gentlemen. If listeners out there, buy it, listen. So the movie, there's. Have you got the footage, or is it? No, no. no that uh, Cameron or whoever has paid for whatever's been filmed has still got that. Um, it, it's been a really long process. We made a film in Australia prior to that one. Basically, the same character, yeah. smaller version of the movie. Um, uh, it was called Mr. Average, that film, and the whole thing was shot. Uh, basically, I was a open mic comic, builder's labourer, um, who ends up becoming famous on an Australian soap, basically. That was the original one, and that was all shot. Um, never got finished, never got credits at either end or a, a music soundtrack to it, but I, I got a version somewhere on VHS of all the rushes put in order to show the film. So from that the story evolved and it was rewritten and became The Bloke Goes to Hollywood where it's the same character, same situation, but instead of just an Australian soap, he, he makes yeah. it big in Hollywood. So it's the bigger version of it. But, yeah, that one, we shot all the all the external scenes in Hollywood, I'd, I'd say. A lot of shots of me walking in and out of doors so you could show that I was actually there, you know, the Grumman's Chinese mm-hmm. Restaurant and, and things like that, the Kodak Theatre. But uh, all the internal shots were going to be shot in Melbourne, and we haven't got around to that yet. So. I haven't got around. Oh, hopefully, this, I think uh, Roddy. What was Roddy like to work with? I've never had a man say "God bless you" more to me than his <laughs> absolute gentleman. And uh, we had a, a rap party, a real Hollywood style. There's a swimming pool with a bar and, and all apartments all around it. You know, yeah. this whole closed-off thing with security and whatever. And Wee Man also had a part in the film from Jackass. Oh well. And he he was getting quite drunk at the thing and. Um, He's saying to me, I'll, I'll do that, I'll kneel down behind Roddy Piper and you push him into the pool over me back. And I said, I'm not fucking doing it, he'll kill me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That, he was an absolute gentleman, Roddy Piper. Yeah, yeah really nice bloke. Oh, that, that's great. Yeah, now that, that would be a night on the town I think people would love to see. Chris the Bloke Franklin, <laughs> Wee Man and Roddy Piper, a limo just going around Hollywood. And Corey Feldman was there. Oh, Corey, Corey yeah. Feldman, of course, of course. <laughs> now, yeah, you, he's, rec- he's recently come out with a book and you, you mates, uh, yeah, he was in Yeah, the- from, from that filming, uh, he mm-hmm. came to Australia to promote the book and his latest film and uh, his album. He's in a um, uh, lead singer with a band as well. With, uh, I've listened to their music. They're very much like Pink Floyd. Oh, wow. But um, he was out here promoting all those things, and um, I didn't even know he was in town, and by chance he, he grabbed me on Twitter and said, hey, I'm in Melbourne, are you in North Queensland? I said, no, I'm actually in Melbourne now. Oh. So let's catch up, bang. And you just out on the town? Yeah. I didn't know. He said, um, I've been on every television show and in every newspaper and on every radio station for the last week. Do you live under a rock? I thought, well, I don't it's easy to miss. It was like the other week, Dan Aykroyd was out, and... A mate of mine was saying, like someone put on Facebook, Dan Aykroyd's appearing at Costco in Sydney. And I'm like, yeah, good one. that's a good one. And I was like, no. And then there's a picture of him selling his bloody vodka. And it's like, it's Dan. Like if I'd have known he was out at Costco, I would have gone out to the suburbs to meet Dan Aykroyd, you know, a hero. I like, didn't know he made vodka. Yeah, well, that crystal, crystal head vodka, the one that comes in the skull, mm-hmm. that's Dan Aykroyd's. Nice. Is it really? Yeah, he's just like, It's you not know. Dan Aykroyd's skull. What? Probably Belushi's, actually. <laughs> That's how he would have liked to have been remembered. You know? Have you ever thought of putting out your own range of alcohol or products? No, not alcohol. VB does a good enough job for me. I, I won't steal their thunder. I did, um, at the height of it all with the single, have as much merch as I could. We had bumper stickers and yeah. um, the blue singlets with a motif on them, whatever. We had um, Bloke Aftershave. 
bloke aftershave. Which, um, which was actually made by a proper company. It was, a, you know, sandalwood and had all these aromatherapeutic qualities or whatever. No, I thought it smelled but, like uh, petrol or something. Yeah, I, I used to tell everyone it's a cross between um, Old Spice and um, uh, Aerogard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'd come in a tiny little stubby with a little stubby holder on it and oh, a, yeah. a squirty thing on the top, yeah. Mm. Oh, no, you got any left? No, or? no, no they're Mullet shampoo, we were going to bring that out. Mullet shampoo, yeah. that's that'd be a beer, beer flat. <laughs> the, the one we got was a, a prototype from America, but it taste, uh, tasted, <laughs> smelt like the... Um, uh, Dog shampoo you get. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It smelled a bit rough, so... Mm. Yeah, no, that, that one didn't take off. Nah, nah. So the height of the music, like, was there pressure on... Like, when you released a single, did you go through an... Uh, was it just independently or with through no, a record EMI approached us to, to release it. Oh, I'd wow. been performing it live. Yeah. And they approached us. So, uh, yeah, we released that. Um, uh, had to release a second single through them, and the strength of the second single determined whether they were going to let me release an album, and the second single didn't do very well, so the whole thing fell apart. So ah, I think everyone worked out I can't actually fucking sing <laughs> <laughs> You can write the songs But you know You'd seen you, You're before your time In these days with auto-tune You would have been the oh, next yeah It would yeah. have been you On the wrecking ball At the VMAs We, we did use auto-tune On the second single um, And there was actually Five of me in the video clip It was a parody Of a Bardo song Remember the old Pop Stars TV show oh, yeah. Back before Australian Oh Idol? yeah And they made the band Bardo Yeah And they brought out The song Poison Sophie yep. Monk was in yes, it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did a parody called Beer Is My Poison and uh, made five of me in the video clip, all that type of thing. So You picked the wrong reality project. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Maybe you should have gone for Australian and waited a few the, years. The follow-up single I wanted to do was uh, Madison Avenue's Don't Call Me Baby. We, we were going to do Don't Drink My Stubby and um, oh. they got a bit precious. They were re-releasing in the UK and had gone to number one and they, they didn't want me to go anywhere near it so I was a little bit harsh to... Shame oh, wow. on stage for a little bit there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, oh, so with the, so with a parody song, you have to get the permission. Yeah, definitely. With, oh. with bloke, we um, approached, or the boss of AMI approached uh, Meredith Brooks and uh, Shelley Peakin wrote the music, an English mm. girl, and Meredith was fine with it. Uh, and Shelley said she didn't want me to do it. Uh, her music was uh, art. It was like a masterpiece you hang on the wall. And mm. I, I said mm. to her, um, "I've gone over your masterpiece in crayon, and I didn't stay within the lines." And uh, the boss of AMI explained to her how much money he projected it might make, and she went, well, fuck up, he can do it. Mm. <laughs> well, that's, that's like Weird Al Yankovic. I remember there's been one band that knocked, like when he had his hits in the 80s, one of the offspring wouldn't let him use Come Out and Play because right. he wanted to make Laundry Day. Right. And yeah, that was the only one. Like Nirvana didn't have a problem with it, no one else. But yeah, Offspring were the only ones. Mm. And I think later on, I think he has parodied one of their songs. But I didn't realise they had the veto power like that. Yeah, yeah. What if, like, on like obviously, well, I mean, release... they, they got a cut out of uh, the normal breakdown of a ten dollar CD single would be four dollars to the record company, four dollars to the record store that sold it, and two dollars to the artist that recorded it. Uh, because mine was a parody and I was using their music, I got a dollar and they got a dollar out of every. And they actually made more Australian dollars with bloke than they did with bitch. Oh, well, mm. <laughs> of course yeah, they really. did. Mm. That's well, that's like the Rolling Stone or the Verve. You know the Verve Bittersweet Symphony. Mm -hmm. They sampled too much of the Rolling Stones. They asked for permission to use. I can't remember X amount. And they ended up using more. So right. all money from that has gone to the Stones. Uh huh. Like Mick needs it. So, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, of so course. the Verve, you know, the biggest where they own. Like, is it Marshall or Peavy or one of those big amp companies? The Rolling Stones own them. Like, like oh. the whole company that provides all the big front yeah. house stuff for all the big rock concerts around the world um yeah that doesn't surprise Rolling me. stones own the company it is that thing you need money to make money mm, isn't yeah it? Mm. It's like, you know eh. 
I just need money. You know, totally yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That'd be nice. laughs> yeah, it'd be good. You know, if any sponsors I out there, drink wine. You drink, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Ciel, you know Ciel? Yeah, Ciel yeah, yeah. played my girlfriend in the bloke video. Oh, of course. Well, mm. she. I heard a funny story from her recently. Um, I did a gig with her. She's back in Sydney, and she tells the time you at the Fringe Bar. Oh, I can tell you this. Yeah. I'll tell it, and let's see how similar it is to the story CL tells. That'd be good. Uh, I, I was headlining. I'd walked up on stage. Before I could even say good evening, one of the bar staff turned up with a tray with five schooners on it. And um, I had a VB long neck because they didn't sell stubbies here. I'd grabbed a long neck from the bottle shop around the corner to drink on stage. Um, I said, what's this? And the guy said, the audience has bought them for you. And so the audience start going, chat, um, you know, skull, 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 skull. skull, skull. skull. And I, I got one down, started talking, and they kept just yelling skull. I said, I've got to talk to you. So I, I, various times I, I got through them. And, and as I was finishing the last one, the waiter turned up with another tray of five, and I had to drink them as well. And in a 45, maybe an hour set, I drank 13 schooners of VB and a long neck. And I was sitting on the front of the stage talking in a language I'd just invented. <laughs> and, uh, CL was emceeing in the night and she yeah. came up and just took the microphone out of my hand and said, I think that'll be enough now, Chris. And she got up on stage and said, I'd like to thank the bar staff at the Fringe Hotel. Uh, Chris is actually giving me a lift home tonight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think she also gave a shout out for responsible service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, no, that, that's exactly, wow, f- considering the amount you drunk that you remember... Did she yeah. tell you? Oh, she... We've talked about it a bit. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, that, that's a, yeah. Because I remember the first time. I, the first time I saw you live, obviously I knew you from the song, and I think what I must I've seen you on a TV show. I don't know which one. Like, I was I th- doing stand up. Yeah, Good News Week maybe. You're on um, Good News Week, were you? Yeah, I, I, in the early when I won Raw, uh, part of that whole yeah. ABC package, they put you on Recovery in the morning. That old, that would have been it, Recovery. Yeah, because yeah, I like I, I just naturally assumed it was Hey Hey because every stand up you see, it's like yeah, yeah, but no, it wasn't. Mm. So, yeah, it was probably Recovery. Yeah, all around that same weekend to promote that I was going to be a, a, yeah, Good News Week, and then the, the they show the actual Raw final on the ABC as well. So yeah, probably mm. that because I remember the first time I saw you it was at the Sandringham. It was, I think it was. Would have been about my fourth or fifth gig. Yeah, you were the headline act. It was before they renovated down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's shut up now. It's downstairs as a bar, but upstairs, I think it's going to be a restaurant, which is a shame because there's some great comedy music. It's got some history, yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Whitlam's have (laughs) thankfully documented it. Just go down and catch a mate of mine, Mark Evans, used to play bass with ACDC. Oh, wow. He plays an acoustic two piece around Sydney uh, with Dave Tice called Tyson Evans, and they play some great blues music, and they. They used to play down there quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's a shame with Sydney at the moment. Like, it's just the Annandale Hotel is just. Thankfully, it's going to survive because the new owners have bought it. But Hopes and Hotel, that's gone. Sandringham's mm. gone. I think it's sad that, that all the places that have got pokies where the music used to be, um, the, the the law says they have to spend a percentage of their pokey profits on live entertainment, and so they do it just to satisfy the law. They don't care if it works or not. You know that you. Yeah. Doing stand-up comedy in an RSL with the the pokies as a backdrop and the machines going, and no, it's not set up so that it can work. You know, they they're just doing it so that they pay someone for live entertainment. They don't care if it happens. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's just like Sydney at the moment. It's just, and I think it's, I think maybe we're getting old, but I think the generations changed. Where like with you see the success of YouTube now, like you mm. see a lot of acts who great work, they create these great videos, they go viral, then they tour. Mm-hmm. So that's what people want to go see. But the days of going down. Like going, just going to see a local band. Like I remember, you go see a band, you might, and you go see them, you catch them, you'd follow them. Same with comedy; those days are gone almost. Yeah, and for newer bands, I think it's it's harder too. The the eighties mm. rock bands that that thrived on that environment mm. still do okay out of it, but they're all getting old now. No? The Angels and Rose Tattoo yeah. and all those boys that they're, they're still 
doing their thing and still pulling a crowd because mm. their generation was used to doing that. But yeah. the, the newer bands with the newer generation d- just doesn't happen. Yeah, no, it's and I mean, well, you look at Radiohead, one of the biggest bands in the world. You know, they put their release their album online and you pay what you want. It's Radiohead, so they're going to yeah. make money. They're performing if, at Costco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan Ackroyd's opening. It's great. It's one of the great things. Well, Chris, mate, I think we're going to have to have you on again because this, this time's flown by. But So, mate, you obviously check out Adelaide Fringe if you're going to go there. Check it out. Tickets will be on sale. I think they go on sale about January, don't they? Yeah, or pretty soon. Yeah. About then. You're also on Twitter at? Um, at Bloke Franklin. Bloke Franklin. What I want you to do, guys, is tweet Bloke Franklin and tell him to write his autobiography. <laughs> You've just heard the stories here now. He's This man has a million stories, and I think... The world needs to hear this, ladies. Write it. Get I, someone. I just want to tell you one story that I only thought of the other day that it just crossed my mind again. I was in um, Perth long before comedy. I was brick paving. I'd finished a job. I'd been paid for the job, so I drank the money and um, had a long walk home. I was very drunk and had about a oh, 45 minute walk home. And uh, halfway home, for some reason, I've decided I'm going to steal a car and drive home. It'll be easier. <laughs> yeah. and I've, I've gone into someone's driveway and. and um, got into a four-wheel drive and promptly passed out in the car in the driveway. <laughs> I woke up in the morning and put my head up and there's two people gardening in the front yard, so I ducked back down and they've spotted me and come over to the car and said, oh, no, it's all right, it's all right, um, we don't live here. Uh, the people that do live here had to go out this morning. They came out to their car and saw you asleep in it. They didn't want to wake you up. So they've called us, we've come round, they've taken our car, we're just waiting for you to get up and go on your way. No police involved, no anything. And, okay, I'll be out of here. Oh, mm. Reasonable people. Yeah. See, that's how society should be. Absolutely. Yeah, you see, yeah no, that, that, I think that's perfect. That's, that's <laughs> a great... That's, so, like I said, that's a story you just thought up then, ladies and gentlemen. Pester him on Twitter. Make, message, message us on Twitter, at Comedy on Edge. Tell him to write his autobiography. I think we need to hear it. And if you're in Adelaide, check it out. Chris, thanks, mate, for coming around. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Oh, it has. And Ryan, you're on Twitter, at Ryan V. Crawford. That's the one. Follow the man. See what he tweets. You haven't tweeted much lately, buddy. Yeah, I need to get my tweeting fingers going, don't I? Yeah, so, so pester him and say, say something, Ryan. Say something. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter, at M underscore W underscore OH, and at Comedy on Edge. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you're listening on iTunes, give us a star rating or give us a review every uh, itunes is a weird beast it's not how many listeners you have it's how many people talk about you so help us get up there in the chart so we can spread the word ladies and gentlemen i've been mark williamson thanks for tuning in and ryan hit the music 